everyone. I am Vivian Ho, host of Pair's Healthcare Playbook podcast. At Pair, we partner with founders from Idea to Series A, and we're excited to share stories from trailblazing healthcare founders and leaders on how they built a digital health business from zero to one. We're super excited to have Lucia Huang, CEO and co-founder of Ozmind, the operating system for neuropsychiatry. Founded in 2020, Ozmind is an electronic health records and outcomes and engagement platform designed for treatment-resistant mental health practices. Ozmind serves 22 million Americans in the U.S. with treatment-resistant mental health conditions. Prior to founding Ozmind, Lucia was the Director of Operations and Finance at Verge Genomics, a next-generation drug discovery company. In July 2021, Ozmind raised $15 million in Series A, led by Future Ventures. And with that, I'd like to thank Lucia for joining us here today. Thanks, Vivian. Super excited to be here. Awesome. So let's start with briefly touching your background before starting Ozmind. Where were you at in your point in life? I know we talked when you're in business school, so maybe we can start with that. Yeah, great. Yeah, so just a bit of background on myself. As Vivian, you alluded to, I have a healthcare business background. So I actually studied chemistry undergrad um, and realized I didn't want to go down the med school path, although that was very appealing, but wanted to do something in healthcare and impact lives at scale. So I went into finance and focused entirely on healthcare companies and was on the investing side at Warburg Pincus, focused on healthcare IT companies, actually made our first investment into an EHR, which is now really coming full circle now that we're building one, but realized that I actually really wanted to be on the operating side. No judgment for investing at all. It just wasn't for me personally. And so I quit my job early at Warburg, flew back out to the Bay Area where I grew up and joined Verge, which was at the time a 10-person startup um, tackling ALS and Parkinson's um, and other diseases in neuroscience. And when I was there, I got to work hand-in-hand with Alice, the CEO, as we scaled the company and got to raise a ton of funding and sort of understand what it's like to really be at an early stage startup. And I really fell in love with where the field of neuroscience and neuropsychiatry are going. And just seeing that there's so much innovation and a field that is so, so desperate for it was really, really exciting. And so I ended up um, going to Stanford for my MBA after and coincidentally met my co-founder, Jimmy, actually, and nerdily enough, a healthcare IT class um, that was cross-listed between the business school and the med school. Um, And we were put together randomly on a final project and work together really closely on some other random startup idea around value-based contracting. I think very, very nerdy. And then stayed friends after. And we just stayed friends and were really commiserating around some of our own experiences in the mental health care system. We'd both grown up in the Bay Area where, and in households where mental health is highly, highly stigmatized. Um, and I think, like many people here, have had friends that have had very significant experiences with the men- mental health care system. But that combined with sort of our rays of hope that we see in the mental health care system um, made us want to start something that would ultimately lay the infrastructure layer for the entire space. So that was our founding story. And that was about two and a half years ago at this point. Awesome. And uh, what kind of made you switch from value-based contracting to <laughs> mental health? You know, let's yeah. brainstorm ideas. Take me back to the details of what you guys did in school. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, after the class finished, we had, we're just continuing to hang out. I think we were having dinner one day and Jimmy was like, there's been a lot of talk at the med school about all this innovation happening in psychiatry. There's actually the psychedelic medicine class. Do you want to take it together? So we ended up enrolling in this class and at the same time, just like starting to hear so much buzz about what is now becoming a much more established field. And as we learned more about it, we got really excited about the tailwinds that we saw. And I think to us, it was kind of like the pieces of the puzzle all crystallizing. We'd talked a lot about our own personal experiences in mental health and then all this innovation that we were seeing and that there was 
the two were colliding, which was really exciting. And so we ended up doing a ton of background research. We talked to every single professor in psychiatry at Stanford. Um, a lot of our friends who had been patients, obviously, in the mental health care system, providers in the Bay Area. And then it we just started to become more and more clear that a revolution was underway and that the same changes that happened in oncology a decade ago are starting to play out in mental health too. So it really started with our personal experiences kind of colliding with like more of an intellectual academic interest. That's amazing. I'd love to take that class. And yeah. with Jimmy, I'm curious, you know, you guys just melded so well together. It was pretty much like fate. But do you have any lessons on making sure you establish a strong co-founder relationship or where did you see complementary traits in Jimmy, whereas you maybe lack them or I don't know, figuring out what the right balance okay. is? Yeah, it's such a thing like co-founder dating and, and figuring out that dynamic. I feel really lucky to be working with Jimmy and like he's one of the big reasons why I'm so excited about what we're doing. I just so enjoy working with him. Um, I think it worked out really well for a number of reasons. First of all, I think the class itself ended up being a great way to just trial out working together. Like we were up late at night, we were talking through different problems. We were, you know, he would do this slide, I would do that slide. It was like very, very much like a good simulation for what it would be like to work together. And I think for any co-founders that are sort of evaluating that, like try a project. Like I think it's one thing to just like talk and in sort of vague high level terms, but like actually get your hands dirty and try to solve a problem together and put words on paper, put slides together, like just do something. And I think that's a great simulation for what it's like to work together. The second is that I did think we rec we recognized we had different areas of strength and then a little bit of overlap as well. For him, because he was at the med school at the time, he really came in with like the clinical understanding and knowledge and passion. And that's translated into much more than just the clinical side. He also oversees product now at Osmind and has that vision. Um, and then for myself, coming from more of like a finance and business background, having pitched investors and done fundraising and all that, um, I brought that area in. So that's another piece of advice I would have is make sure you like are spiky in one way that is complementary to your co-founder. It's obviously okay if you have areas of overlap, but making sure that each of you have one area where you're really, really strong um, and can bring those to the table. Awesome. That's really great advice. Okay, so maybe shifting to educating our listeners on Ozmind, can you briefly run over Ozmind service offerings and uh, yeah. what it provides to our audience? For sure, yeah. So I alluded to this, but we were really born with this vision that neuropsychiatry and mental health as a field are really changing. So just to paint a picture, like oncology has really evolved over the last decade. Of course, there's a lot to do. It's not at all a solved problem, but if we think about all the innovation that's happened, there are new treatments like CAR-T and immunotherapies. There are new ways of measuring things, liquid biopsies and se sequencing. All of these technologies have really come to industry and the market in the last 10 years. And that's actually resulted in the death rate and oncology falling, which is probably the only therapeutic area where that's happened. And I think what, why we're so excited about mental health is like we're in the early innings of all that happening. The corollaries are in mental health. We now have new types of treatments. We have things like psychedelic medicine or neuromodulation. Actually, when we were at Stanford, there was research being done um, in a new method of neuromodulation that shows 80% efficacy in depression patients. So just an example of like how treatments are just getting so much more better and targeted in mental health. And then of course, new ways of understanding data, gathering data, measuring things. We've got new ways of imaging the brain, capturing digital data, just so much innovation that's happening right now that our goal is to really again, build that infrastructure layer that helps both providers and researchers. So the easiest way to think about our business model then is like a two-sided marketplace or network. 
On one side, we build and sell an electronic health record and software to providers. These are usually providers that are really focused on the treatment-resistant patients in our country. And as you said, that's 22 million Americans that have failed multiple lines of treatment, which really speaks to the inadequacy of current standard of care. Um, So the providers that we serve are usually smaller mental health practices using innovative treatments or interventional psychiatry modalities, um, and our software really serves them. And then on the other side of the, the network, so to speak, we look at the data, we analyze the data, and we facilitate relationships with providers and researchers. So we sell into pharma, um, we sell insights, we sell clinical trial services, et cetera, to really help them get these new treatments across the finish line. And so ultimately, we hope to sort of you know, create like a flywheel effect where we're helping these new treatments get across the finish line. And then, you know, we can circle back and help providers deliver such new treatments and the flywheel goes on. So that's our overall vision of what we see. In terms of the software specifically, we've built an EHR that really hopefully blows the rest out of the water. EHR space, we can obviously go on and on about that, but it is really, really broken. Most EHRs are from the 2000s. We come across systems that are still on-prem and look like Windows 2000, and they're just pretty horrendous, and they really hinder clinical care. So when we were doing a lot of research and needs finding, we found that there were two main things that providers were struggling with software-wise. They were either, first of all, a lot of them were using pen and paper, which again, speaks to the fact that they had nothing good for them. But the two main problems were that workflows are actually really changing in mental health, especially with newer treatments. Even with existing treatments, workflows are changing because providers want to integrate more data into their decision-making. So for example, there's a new treatment called Spravato that was manufactured by Janssen, approved a couple of years ago. And it was the first new type of antidepressant approved in almost 40 or 50 years, which is really exciting. But because it's an interventional treatment, it's actually a nasal spray done in the office. The provider has to do all this documentation to make sure that it's safe and that they're collecting, you know, baseline vitals and questionnaires, et cetera, and they've got to go and send that off to the FDA. So we were finding that providers were documenting almost like an extra hour per day because they had to do this on paper. They then had to go fax it over to the manufacturer. And it was just like a huge headache. So to solve that problem, we basically integrate directly with the manufacturers so that we can port over the right information directly from the EHR and simplify that workflow and save the provider a ton of time. And obviously, it's a big win for the manufacturer as well. So that's just one example from like a workflow perspective, how the field of psychiatry is changing. And we really need to think through some of these compliance and regulatory burdens. On top of that, there's a lot around measurement-based care that's really changing the field. In the past, you know, psychiatrists and mental health providers sometimes (laughs) will try to measure outcomes. They might send a patient home with a piece of paper that's like, okay, fill out this nine-question questionnaire you know, bring it back the next visit and let's see how you did. Obviously, that's a very imprecise tool. Who knows when the patient is is doing it? Who knows if they'll remember to bring it back? And so we've now all automated all that. And that's very much at the center of our platform is this ability to automate the sending of and scoring and collecting of patient reported outcomes so that providers can make better decisions. So providers will even get alerts if patients have denoted some sort of change in their, their mood scores and providers can then make better decisions based off of that. So I think our overall goal was to bring the software into the 21st and ultimately uh, 22nd century to help them make better decisions for their patients. That's amazing. It makes so much sense. And I think it's harder said than done, right? What is it creating an EHR from scratch and replacing whatever systems they had or maybe had no systems? Can you talk about like, what was it kind of integrating with your first clinic and what does it take to 
build a HR from scratch? Yeah, it is definitely not the easiest. <laughs> that's for sure. But I think like EHRs are underhyped. They're so great. They're such a great wedge. And it's because it's so workflow critical. When we're evaluating, if you think about other softwares, it's great if a provider is even using it every day. In the case of EHRs, right, they're using it day in, day out. They're on it 10 hours a day, if not more. It's such a great wedge into both like really critical data and information, but also a relationship that you build around the provider so that you're not just a vendor and you're able to offer them so much more. So I think it's exciting. But in terms of actually building it, I also think it's much easier to build an EHR today than it was 10 years ago. As an example, a a highly requested feature from our provider base is the ability to charge their patients over Osmind. They want to be able to collect patient credit cards and run them over Osmind. And that is now, thankfully, just a simple Stripe integration. And that wouldn't have been able to happen 5 or 10 years ago. So I think that even like dev tools and the improvement in technology surrounding an EHR has made it easier. So that that's on the building side in terms of like actually getting that into the first clinic. That's always really fun and sort of the exciting parts of getting a startup off the ground. But there's a lot of hustle involved. We did a lot of needs finding at first to try to understand what providers wanted. And when we did build our MVP, it required just like a lot of scrappiness. Actually, this was in um, 2020 and Jimmy and I drove down to LA in like the height of the pandemic. This was pre-vaccines, obviously. We went and knocked on a bunch of doctor's doors and we were like selling our product. And it was really exciting. We got to deploy live for our first one. But yeah, I just look upon those memories with a lot of fondness because I think it's just really exciting to, to get something in the hands of users ASAP and you've got to just be scrappy about it. Awesome. And going into, I wanted to talk about like advice on, you know, your first MVP and product. It sounds like one thing that you said is making sure it's in front of your customers as soon as possible. What are other lessons you would share based on your experiences? Yeah, a couple things. I think for one, like just the concept of needs finding and like design thinking is really critical, especially at the beginning. And we definitely made some mistakes around this. Um, that thankfully were were fixable, but I just caution it to founders going forward. It's so easy to like think about a solution first and not the problem first, and it's just so critical to start from the problem um, and just to talk to as many people as possible. So that was really what the early days looked like for us in the first couple months of getting this off the ground. We probably talked to a hundred people. We were again knocking on doctors' doors all around the Bay Area and trying to understand. But I think also just being like pretty thoughtful about even that group of people you talk to is important. So as an example, like I think that you really need to look for a representative sample. We ended up only talking to providers in the Bay Area for our first iteration of needs finding. And we were then realized later on, wait, Bay Area providers are not representative of the rest of the country. They're generally more tech forward. We actually were finding that some of them had workflow differences versus like there are some nuances around what they can prescribe here versus in other states. And so that like then almost caused us to build the wrong feature. And so I think you really just need to be thoughtful about like picking a representative sample, really understanding like the workflow and the problems first, and then thinking about the solution so that you can do that in an unbiased way. That's one big piece of advice we would have. And then the second is just like being open to sort of what you learn from the market and change. When we first set out, we were building actually a measurement-based care tool, something that would sit alongside the EHR and really focus on that patient outcomes tracking piece. And then the more we went through the process, people kept asking us, wait, is this an EHR? Like, can you just build an EHR? And at first we had Vivian, the reaction you had, which was like, oh, an EHR, we don't want to build one of those. But the more and more we heard from our users that they really wanted it and that they would much rather switch off their existing EHR than have to think about another point solution or vendor to add on to it. They wanted something better. Um, it made us realize 
we got we got to do this. Like we got to take on this gargantuan task, and it's going to be better for us too to be that sticky wedge in the long run. Um, that was something that we sort of made a real time decision um, as we had our first five or ten sales. Awesome. Yeah, it's really important to listen to your customers and make sure you're you're really figuring out what they need. So it sounds like you guys did a really good job of being very open to feedback and iterations. I'm curious. You mentioned selling the data to pharma companies and helping them with drug development and this virtuous cycle of data being used to develop new treatment. Did you do any customer research on the pharma side as well? Or was it pretty clear from the beginning that this was just data that they would definitely need? Good question. Yeah, we definitely did. This was a little bit later in our journey. Like We we knew from the Flatiron model, for example, or many of the other companies that have now come up in oncology that Real world evidence as a field is really growing, and it's that's a very acute need that pharma companies have budget for. And then, as we got a little bit further with like building the, I guess you can say, supply side of the marketplace, we went deeper into some of those conversations with pharma to really understand the specific use cases. Because I think that's another potential pitfall that we founders can have is like just to be very broad and vague about things, but like what really is real world evidence and what really is pharma going to want? Like, we were able to sort of narrow it down into a couple of things, and as just an example. Clinical trial recruitment kept on coming up every time we talked to the pharma company, and say, they were saying how painful it was and how they weren't able to do it in an automated way. And like by having EHR, you could go and query patients in a much more automated and efficient fashion. So just getting really into the specifics and like if you can getting a dollar value on those because that really helps to crystallize the needs finding and ultimately guide your product roadmap. That makes a lot of sense, and it sounds like these issues kind of not to go off topic, but are relevant in other areas of healthcare. Do you think there's a world where we could just also apply this to other disease areas? You know, yeah. clinical trial recruitment is painful everywhere. Everywhere. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are definitely some nuances around mental health and like patient population. Just it's harder to get them to adhere to the trial funnel, enrollment mm-hmm. funnel. So that's where having a relationship with the provider, I think is quite important because we want to make sure that the provider is involved in helping to nudge the patient along. But I agree with you that there's like a lot of similarities with other therapeutic areas. For us, we're pretty focused on mental health and psychiatry and in some adjacent areas, just because mm-hmm. the one side of the marketplace, the therapeutic area is very specific. It's hard for us to adapt our product because to something like oncology, because we've got a lot of workflow modules that are specific to mental health. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all in all, I think there's definitely a need mm-hmm. in other therapeutic areas, but the way you get the data and the way you provide our network may be different depending on the TA, because that's just a very different care delivery model. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And then um, can you share what it was like scaling from one customer to 10 customers? And I don't know how many customers you have now, but I read 215 in your last fundraising announcement. So maybe you <laughs> yeah. have bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are at yeah, well over that mm-hmm. now, um, which is super exciting. Yeah, man, it is, it is crazy <laughs> just scaling that customer base. And I think there's like a lot of changes. Obviously, there's your typical changes around got to change your sales motion. Like you can't treat every single customer as like the most important like VIP customer once you get past a certain number because it's just not scalable. And also, you know, with the way you prioritize product feedback, like you need to learn to see the forest from the trees and look at the trends of like what your entire customer base is saying rather than at the beginning, it's very tempting to just freak out over every piece of customer feedback you get. So there's a little bit of distancing that needs to happen. But I think more than that, it's really about building the team. I think every founder is going to start doing things founder-led. For us, it was I was doing sales and my co-founder was doing customer success. And that's how we got our first you know, 50 customers or so. 
And then the next step was we hired an AE and we hired a CS person. And that was a really scary step because like you're putting a lot of trust into other people. And then from there, like they're gonna hire now they're they're hiring and building their own teams. So I think that's just that scaling motion is really important to get right. Cause I think it's really easy for founders to like stay in the weeds and feel like they want to maintain ownership over the process, but you really have to trust your team and trust the process because that's really gonna help them treat customers and really scale this in the way that you know you would have done if you were continuing to have your pulse on things. So I think that overall with scaling the customer base, it's not just the product and sales motion, but it's really a, a team motion and building trust into your process. Yeah. That I mean, I can imagine how how scary it is to not be able to own the process anymore, but also the power of being able to manage a large a growing team based on your background with your big office. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. Awesome. Can you share the scale of how many patients Osmine serves today just for us to visualize? Yeah, we have um, 30,000 patients or so on the platform. Awesome. And, and how long do these patients stick with you? Yeah, so it's with their providers. We sell into the providers and providers will have patients join via patient portal. So as long as they're with their providers, they're with us. Although many times, even if they leave their provider, they still have access to some of the outcomes tracking and like ways to monitor their progress. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, clinics have been with us from the get-go. So it's awesome. been a few years now. Yeah. Cool. And as you scaled, what are some lessons, you know, you talked about giving trust to your team and stepping away from the sales process. What are other lessons in building a, a larger team and how you think about culture? And, and then we can go into like, what are you hiring for? <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. It's such a contrite statement that people always say, but like it really all comes down to people. People are everything. And I, I think we really hit that inflection point after a series A when we were really focusing on building out our leadership team. So since July, we've brought on six leadership team members. And that in itself is a flywheel because now you know we have new team members who are like, oh, like you brought on this person onto your leadership team. That's awesome. It makes me want to join you even more. And so I would just emphasize it's really great bringing people on who are just experts in their functional area. And to really make sure that founders are prioritizing that when the time is right, typically after the Series A, and repeating my notion around trust, like really trusting them with things, because I think these are team members that can take your business to the next level and know a lot more than, than founders sometimes. So that is something I just cannot emphasize enough is the impact of having an amazing leadership team and how that has trickle down effects to the rest of the team. On top of that, in terms of just like scaling and team culture, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really incredible and such a journey. And I think that's what's so exciting about working in healthcare is we get to do mission-driven work all day. And that's been a huge plus for selling candidates. I think that it's really easy for us to like lose that sometimes though in the day-to-day and to have people be like, oh, why am I working on this you know, PRD or like writing this blog? Or, and it's hard sometimes to, to remember why we're here. So for us, we've been trying to be more intentional about making the mission show up in different ways. So we have regular patient and provider talks where we bring in customers or, or patients using the platform to talk about both their mental health backgrounds or career experiences or whatever, but your experience with the platform. That's been super meaningful. And then on top of that, like we have also have fun research challenges. We're actually having like a little study design competition within the company that sort of mimics how would you think about using real-world evidence to improve a clinical trial design, but in a little smaller setting that we can all have like a competition around. So yeah, just thinking about ways that that excitement doesn't fade over time, I think is important for us healthcare founders to remember. 
Wow. There's a lot of learnings there. And I want to be, I was like, it would be fun to be part of your team. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I, I guess moving towards the hiring part, are there specific roles that you're recruiting for that we can kind of share with people who might be looking for their next jump? Yes. So many roles. Going to do a shameless plug for osmine.org forward slash careers. <laughs> um, but yeah, people all around, all across the board, always engineers and product and design and data science. Specifically, I'll call out a couple of functions on or roles on the go-to-market side. We are actually hiring a head of business development on the life sciences side. So somebody who really understands real-world evidence and that pharma sales cycle and knows how to work sort of that enterprise sales motion is one that we're looking out for. And then also we are continuing to like build out our go-to-market team on the EHR side. So we're looking for somebody who can lead up post-sales um, and customer operations as we continue to scale our customer base. So I'll just call out those two, but there's a lot of additional roles on the careers page. Awesome. Great. Everyone check out the careers page. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess my last question is, you kind of touched on this already in, in the beginning when you were founding Osmine, but now speaking as a healthcare veteran, what are areas in either mental health or healthcare, broadly speaking, do you find exciting or you think there are opportunities in the space? I, I think there's... Yeah, there's just been so much that's been going on with COVID and, and healthcare as a landscape has changed a lot. I think that overall, like while the more the merrier, there have been a proliferation of businesses that I think like perpetuate the fee-for-service healthcare paradigm, which again, better than nothing, but I really would like us to move to value-based care as an industry. And I'm really excited about some of the companies and opportunities to build the, the corresponding infrastructure layer for some of those changes. That's one area I'm really excited about. The other area I'm excited about is just like focusing in on high cost patient populations. So specifically in mental health, there's a lot of mental health companies now. It's amazing. Um, but a lot of them are neglecting not just treatment resistant mental health patients we serve, but even higher acuity, serious mental illness patients. And those patients are often, you know, 3x more expensive than even the traditional mental health patient. And there are a lot of people and a lot of them are Medicaid populations. So I would love to see more energy and effort focus there as we move from sort of lower acuity into higher acuity cost saving. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I think a lot in on the investing side, there's a lot of interest in SMI and moving towards the higher acuity patients funnel. So hopefully we'll see a lot more companies in that space. Thank yeah, you so much for taking the time to speak with us on the Pair Healthcare Playbook. I really enjoyed hearing your story and hope, you know, Next time we talk, your team will be 3X the size. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so too. Thank you, Vivian.